Vaporwave News Network, episode 14. Hello, and welcome to the Vaporwave News Network, a podcast about the contemporary vaporwave scene. We feature news, discussion, and current trends, as well as reporting on releases and events in the Vaporwave, Future Funk, and adjacent communities. I'm your host, Alex, aka Trucks Passing Trucks. I run Pacific Plaza Records in addition to DJing and booking events over my past seven years of being involved in the Vaporwave community. Welcome to Vaporwave News Network. It's episode 14, covering January 2024, over 12 years since the start of this music genre and art movement. It's the first month of 2024, and we're all eagerly anticipating what's going to pop off in the new year. But first, let me remind you that you can check out our new website, VaporwaveNewsNetwork.com, where we have articles, reviews, and all our graphics from each episode of the show. If you click on support the show or subscribe, you can get added to our email newsletter or become a paid member to get exclusive content and financially support us. You can also follow the podcast on social media at VW News Network. We're currently on Instagram and Twitter, plus we have a TikTok and Blue Sky account. So please follow us and comment on our posts to help drive that engagement. If you join us on Blue Sky, there are two great custom feeds created by Ognos that feature artists, musicians, and people involved in the vaporwave scene. The feeds also catch all posts mentioning vaporwave in the last seven days. There's been a lot more activity lately, and you don't need an invite anymore. Plus, folks like Dan Mason and DDS are quite active, along with many other people in the scene. So come join us on Blue Sky. We also have two curated playlists on Spotify that you can check out. Contemporary Vaporwave, which is our main playlist capturing all things Vaporwave, Future Funk, as well as the beloved subgenres like Slushwave, Barber Beats, Late Night Lo-Fi, Vapor Trap, and of course, Classic Style. And we also have Fresh Future Funk, which is loaded with current tracks from the past six months and some classics and deep cuts from the past. I added new selections to both playlists recently. Quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast or follow us on your platform of choice. If you're checking this out on YouTube, remember to leave a comment, like, and subscribe. If you can leave a rating on your streaming platform of choice, please do that as well. If you're listening on Spotify Mobile, scroll down below the description and interact with our polls and Q&A. As I mentioned on our previous episode, you can now support the show over on our website, VaporwaveNewsNetwork.com, and become a member or associate producer. A big thank you to our highest tier supporters, Mackie and Joe B. If you'd like to join them in supporting the Vaporwave News Network, you can get in on the associate producer tier for only $10 a month. And if you only got $5 a month, well, you can get access to our exclusive content in the members tier. And even if you can't financially support the show, you can sign up for the free tier so you get an email notification every time a new episode or feature article comes out, like our recent Best of 2023 list, which dropped midway through the month back in January. Once again, big thank you to everyone who gave me feedback on the website and who's looked at what I got posted up there. I put our entire back catalog and archive, so go check that out if you haven't seen it. And don't forget, if you're a member, you can comment on the posts on the website. So, with all that out of the way, what's been going on with me? January was a busy start of the year, although not because I was going out to shows or playing much, but I uh, finally got the website done and I got the written version of our best of 2023 up there, which I am really proud of. And as the month came to a close, I got busy with some other stuff, tax things, new classes to teach at my day job, and I actually went to NAM thanks to a friend in the vaporwave scene. 
If you don't know, NAM is the annual trade show hosted by the National Association of Music Merchants, and it's like the biggest one of its kind in the U.S. The main show is hosted at the Anaheim Convention Center, which is in Orange County where I'm from, and there was four days of showcases and product demos that ranged from guitar pedals and DJ controllers to knob manufacturers and high-end synth designers. It was a bit overwhelming walking the floor and taking in the immense range of musical instruments that the industry covers and like the sheer amount of like companies, variants, and products that are out there today. I mean, like a whole corner of one of the halls was just Chinese OEMs, and then another area had entire DJ setups complete with fog machines and LED walls. It was an amazing experience, and honestly, I wish I'd been able to go all four days instead of just going two. You know, once I started picking up instruments and noodling around, I instantly regretted being kind of tentative at the booths when I first got there. Although it did help my confidence once someone pointed out I had a red stripe badge. If you know, you know, and that made me uh, able to kind of do more of what I wanted on the floor. But I really hope I could do it again in the future. And while I like see all the drawbacks and issues people have as exhibitors and see some of the funny ways YouTube merges with like the IRL world at events like this, It's totally worth it to go to it as a musician or someone who's interested in MI, the musical instruments industry. Uh, Personally, I've been thinking about transitioning into a career at MI instead of like the teachings after school stuff I kind of do now. So if anyone has tips or recommendations, like particularly around audio or guitar manufacturing companies, get in touch with me on social media or send me an email. Maybe I'll make a career switch. And one last thing, there was an atmospheric river here in California, which dumped a lot of rain in a short time, but luckily I wasn't personally affected much by the storm. It was wild though, because they kept saying it would clear up after like a day or two, but then we just kept getting rain like throughout the week. But I'm hoping it'll be good for watering the wildflowers, because I love hiking. Whew, that was a long one, but back to the format. What am I going to recommend this week? Well, I got two things. One is a quick vapor recommendation, and then a video about music composition. First off, if you've never listened to the Echo Virtual albums, Atmospheres 1 through 4, do yourself a favor and check them out. You can find their release. You can also find the Echo Virtual release that's missing from their band camp, which is called Wildlife Canada, over on YouTube, along with visuals for select songs on the Atmospheres albums. If you aren't aware, Echo Virtual was a secret alias of Blank Banshee, but it's not been a secret for years at this point. Second thing I'm going to recommend is a video by Charles Cornell called The Insane Story of Pirates of the Caribbean's Soundtrack. It's about repurposed and recontextualized melodies written in a specific style that can be traced to an influential composer who is not the composer of the first Pirates movie soundtrack. It was particularly interesting to me because my high school orchestra played pieces from the movie, and when I heard the name, Klaus Bedelt, I had that moment of nostalgic memories like being unlocked in my brain. (laughs) And there was actually also moments in the video where I was reminded of discussions around samples and reusing or like re-editing compositions, which felt kind of poignant in relation to Vaporwave, Barber Beats, and some stuff I'll talk about in the history section. So head over to YouTube and check the video out. A link will be on our website and in the show notes. Wrapping it up here, I played two gigs in the beginning of February. One was in San Diego for the 2024 debut of Sweat.biz with our special guest Ognos, who tore the place down with breakbeats. Turnout was great, and apparently we ended up on like a popular show listing that brought out some extra heads to the gig. I was also up in LA playing a gig in Little Tokyo with the Analog Los Angeles crew last weekend. I waited to pick out what I was going to do for my set until I got to the gig, and I actually decided to go with a Vapor Trap set, which I hadn't done in a minute. 
DJ mixes from both of those shows will be available for members and associate producers to listen to with full track lists and some links to each album that each release came from. If you're doing a streaming event and need a DJ set or someone to do visuals, get in touch with me. I'm also available to do IRL gigs in other states since my current job is flexible. You can get in contact through my DJ Instagram at Trucks Passing Trucks or through the Pacific Plaza social media handles. Now, on to the show. What happened in the vaporwave scene in January? Well, the first month of the new year has seen a flurry of new releases and some IRL events, but not so much in the way of URL events. Here's what's been going on. We had IRL shows in Baltimore, Denver, New York City, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Columbus, Ohio, Texas, and more. Looking forward into the new year, the promoters out there are kicking back into high gear, which we'll cover in an upcoming section. But remember you can keep up with the calendar of upcoming shows and streams over at our partner's website, The Arcology, arcology.online slash events. What's been going on in the URL space in the month of December? Well, there wasn't any like specific URL festivals or shows, but some of the regular programming has continued, like 3D Blast hosting a free samples on the first Friday of every month on Twitch. Luxury Aesthetics Virtual Gallery with DJ Non had a new episode in mid-January called Warehouse Waves, which was very ravey. Hot Takes had two episodes to finish off their final season, plus a chaotic all-guests-on-deck episode in February that was super fun. In early January, they talked to UK Boys Donor Lens on a Saturday afternoon for the North Americans, although it was evening for the UK crowd. In late January, they had Crystal Eternal on to talk about her new album, Keygen, which will be mentioned later in our releases section. The final episode of the season had at least 30 different guests cycle through the two-hour episode. It was a freewheeling conversation and all-around good hang with tons of different guests from past seasons, fans from the Discord, and the Hot Takes hosts themselves. They also announced that Crystal Eternal will be designing their new aesthetic for the upcoming season this spring. They're now on hiatus for a bit. Luxury Elite's Neon Knights had a few episodes in January, picking Lux's favorite discoveries in 2023, and then a two-part tribute to Pure Moods with curated Vaporwave selections. She's also going on hiatus for a little while. She just had a Family and Friends episode that we'll mention in our next section. Big Baby Prophet is streaming all vinyl DJ sets on YouTube every Wednesday night, and he did a few Barber Beats mixes plus a Future Funk vinyl set on January 24th. If you're looking for more mixes and want to discover new vapor and themed vapor curations, check out Bort Media on YouTube. That's B-O-R-T Media. They've done a cool Christmas mix every year, and they put out a couple new things every month, including fresh vapor selections and deep cuts. On the podcast front, there's been some new episodes and an old podcast revived. Future Sounds UK had two episodes, one at the beginning of the year with their roundtable crew, and then an interview with Groove Remote by Tom from Donor Lens. Night Clerk Radio had an episode about a pair of Dungeon Synth albums that came out in early February. And a podcast hosted by Vapid and Wavy Panda has been brought back from hiatus. You can find the Assorted Vaporwave podcast on the Virtual Lounge 2 Bandcamp page, where they have their first episode and second episode of Season 3 posted. They had an interview with Mitro, recent news, album recommendations, and four blocks of curated music in Episode 1. Go check it out. In other news, the Future Funk subreddit finally put up a thread for their Best of 2023 poll. It went up near the end of January, and it's open until February 18th, so get on it real quick. I don't know who the mods are over there, but it's unfortunate they missed the year-end vote, so we'll see if people go over there and participate. The Vaporwave subreddit finally posted the results of their Best of the Year poll, and it shared a few pics with our list. 
It also had some unique choices, and some things that didn't show up in our polling at all, like the new post-telepath project, Tian Hujan, Ethereal Media and Electric Spectre. Uh, but their list did seem to have a lot of recency bias and some surprise picks of albums that have had barely any supporters or paying customers on Bandcamp, but they are well-liked by the mods, according to comments on the Reddit thread. So, you know, go check it out and find some new stuff. Another end-of-the-year roundup was released by Utopia District over on their website. They had a bunch of volunteers and contributors from the scene send in a short paragraph on a release of their choice. It's a diverse list as well, with nice little capsule reviews that give you a bit of context for each pick. So, I really recommend that one. A lot of cool stuff on there. Really nice. And it is unfortunate that I have to report this next thing, but considering this person's previous entanglements with the vaporwave scene... Folks should know what's been going on with the rapper Viper, a prolific artist who had a weird relationship with the vaporwave scene and worked with folks from the scene back in the mid-2010s. Trigger warning, this news item has some descriptions of misogynistic violence and domestic abuse. Now, as reported by Dan Carson for the Houston Chronicle, quote, Houston rapper Viper, given name Lee Carter, was arrested by Houston police on Thursday, January 4th, 2024, and now stands charged with aggravated kidnapping after allegedly holding a woman captive in his South Houston home for years on end. The victim told the police that she had been kidnapped by Carter approximately four or five years ago while panhandling off Almeida Genoa Road in Houston. The woman told police that Carter had kept her locked up in an attached garage as property against her will for years. Unquote. I'm not going to go through the quote laundry list of horrors that the article mentions, but you can find it in a lot of different articles about the situation. Ultimately, Viper's association with the vaporwave scene was not a lasting bond. As someone on Reddit summarized, quote, his early stuff had such odd low production values that it really did feel almost vaporwave adjacent. I think because he started getting attention from that angle, he leaned into it heavier once he realized there was a potential fan base he could exploit, unquote. Defunct label Blood Honey and 38 Chambers, they tried to release some of his music and remixes of it, but many folks felt Viper didn't really even fully understand what Vaporwave was and was, again, just riding this wave of attention that his lo-fi, chopped and screwed rap got caught up in. His band camp, where people have found ridiculous vinyl variants of his albums over the years that in most cases were never produced or shipped, is now gone. And finally, it's the band camp view. We're bringing you the latest updates related to the platform and the situations surrounding SongTrader's acquisition of Bandcamp. I've continued to use the new discovery features, and I still have continued to notice that it takes a while for new releases to update, and new releases are still showing out of order when I choose that option. It's a bit frustrating since I used the tool for our recent releases section, so I'm going to say ultimately I don't think discovery has improved. You know, I updated my mobile app and there's still not an option on Discovery to organize by new arrivals, which is a bummer because so many subgenres top releases are polluted with discography purchases and labels that have put subgenres on their page instead of on individual releases. Bandcamp Friday did continue and we saw the first one of 2024 in February. The next one is scheduled for the first Friday of March, but the article published on Bandcamp Daily back on January 27th did not specify any dates past February March. I do think a lot of people are assuming it is going to continue, but we'll see if they take that break in the middle of the year like they have been doing in the past. And I know I haven't mentioned it yet, but in the main topic, I'll be discussing the folding of Pitchfork into men's magazine GQ and the changes in the music criticism landscape. But before that, we have our next sections, upcoming events, and recent releases. 
upcoming shows and events for February and March 2024, plus some tours and spring announcements. On the URL side of things, as I mentioned before, there are some labels and artists announcing listening parties on Bandcamp, so check the official Bandcamp homepage for live events and streams to see if there's any labels or vapor names you recognize at bandcamp.com live. Back on February 2nd, AB97, Magnetoscope, and Signal Wave Artist Satellite TV all had premieres in a row that you could go find in the Bandcamp Live archives, or if you want to just check out the individual ones, they're also on YouTube. Saturated happened on February 10th across a few different Twitch channels. It was hosted by Anarchy and Bedrock, and then it raided over to different performers who were booked on the gig. There was video sets from visualists like Videodrome, Drusiform, and more across eight channels. I'm going to link the video to the Twitch channel from the first performer that started the raids on our website. Hot Takes is going to be on break for a month while they get prepared for their next season, but as I mentioned earlier, Neon Knights did a family and friends episode on February 13th on YouTube, and yours truly had a song in the mix. My song, it was an intertextual sad boy sample jam I made after Econ Weekend last year. When I originally made the song, I thought I was going to make a barber beat, and then it kind of turned into something different and more vaporwave. So you can go check that out on YouTube. Nostalgia Lounge is going to be hosting a trans-benefit URL streaming event, expanding beyond the IRL events they have been hosting, which will be mentioned in the upcoming events section. The event's called Sanctuary Live and will be on March 31st, the National Transgender Day of Visibility, and all funds raised will go to Trans Ohio. Exact times and lineup to be announced, but submissions to play are open right now. And I haven't heard about exact dates, but the rumor is that Daydream Deluxe's URL Fest Vapor Shave will be back in the spring. I'm excited for that one to come back and keep the URL vibes high as we get into the rest of the year. Now, on to the IRL gigs. We got February 2024, and since I'm a bit late here, I'll quickly mention some things that have happened already, like Sweat.biz, which I mentioned earlier in the show, which was in San Diego on February 4th. Yotoki was in Baltimore earlier in the month with Fiber. February 10th, the Desert Dreams Collective put on a show in Phoenix at the legendary DIY venue Truck Space. February 16th, Yoitoki was back in Pontiac, Michigan with an event. With the past stuff out of the way, there's now three different Vapor Rave events being promoted by different folks, with many of them using Outrun, Synthwave, and Kawaii anime aesthetics as their signifiers. Like in January, there was a cosplay-themed event tour around Texas, but no DJ names listed in the event descriptions. They also put a space between Vapor and Wave in their ads. Nice one. But one of the others that's coming up is a four-date tour on the East Coast. It's going to be from February 22nd through 25th in Richmond, D.C., Baltimore, and Philly with the Promoters DJ Project and guests from the scene on select dates. And finally, over in England, Space Jam's Radio and All Right Babes are doing an event called Vapor Rave in Bristol, England on March 30th with Pizza Hotline, Donor Lens, Strawberry Station, and more at the Four Quarters Arcade Bar. And I'll just say this, folks, come up with more original names or like just don't use a name at all and list the performers. Most of these events aren't really in rave locations and are just like DJ nights at a bar or small venue that bands usually play at. March 2023 is already starting to see some events getting booked, like the show in Bristol I mentioned earlier, but we also have Crystal Nostalgia coming back to downtown LA in early March. Yoitoki will be in Atlanta on March 3rd at the Masquerade. They're also going to be in Orlando on March 8th, plus Brooklyn, Las Vegas, and San Francisco all on March 22nd. Nostalgia Lounge in Columbus has another show at Cafe Bourbon Street on Saturday, March 16th with iClick, Crystal Eternal, I know, and Harmonic Illusion. 
March 23rd, there'll be a show in Denver, Colorado at the Mutiny Info Shop Cafe. Shouts out. I was there on tour once with a band in 2017 after, after South by Southwest. It's a well-priced $5 Vaporwave and Breakcore show with performances by Luxury Noise, Truman, Big Baby Prophet, and more. Sweat.biz will be back in San Diego on March 24th. I'll be playing that one with my boys Aglado and Booty Wizard. In April, George Clanton will be hitting the road across the central and eastern U.S. for a tour that features Full Body 2 on the first half and Frost Children on the second half. It's running from April 2nd till the 26th. Yoitoki has also announced some April Future Funk parties, including Montreal on the 26th and Toronto on the 27th. And finally, they announced a party in Chicago on May 18th, if you're out there in the Midwest. Also on May 18th, there will be a Future Funk event in Brooklyn with Englewood, Discoholic, Vape Air, and Fiber at the Broadway. It's a 21-plus event. And the first fest of the summer has been announced by Vapor VA. In Richmond, Virginia, on June 1st, there'll be a fest at the Ember Music Hall called I2K, featuring headliners FM Skyline, Whitewoods, and Vape Air, plus a bunch of other artists from the Vaporwave and Synthwave scene. If you have any other upcoming events you want featured, please submit over at vaporwavenewsnetwork.com submissions. In addition to my event submission form, we're partnered with the Arcology to have a more consolidated listing, and you can get to their calendar by clicking on the events tab on our website, or if you go to arcology.online slash events, you can send something to them so that you can get it on their calendar as well. On to our next section, releases and reviews. As usual, I'm going to start off with a review, but this time I'm going to discuss an EP and try a format I haven't done on the podcast before, the track-by-track breakdown. On January 26th, Brazilian producer Heaven Silhouettes released an EP called Gardening Alone on Bandcamp. Heaven Silhouettes is primarily known for making barber beats with physical releases on labels like Full Metal Records, Doki Doki Beats, and Business Casual receiving high praise from said labels as a producer that pushes the envelope on Barber Beats. This EP showcases their deft touch with a breakbeat and steps out of the typical 7-12 track slowed down edits formula that's common in the genre. Instead, they create a cohesive four-part mini-symphony that brings together Barber Beats with strains of experimental electronica, other subgenres of vaporwave, and maximalist sound design. The title track opens with a crackly loop that primes the listener for the heavy boom-bap breakbeat and G-funk synths to come. The music isn't just content to loop the same rhythm with a jazz solo on top like many other barber beats. Numerous melodic instruments float in and out including string samples, horns, and harmonica with sections of tension and release that break up the monotony of a simple barber beat. As the track progresses, the layers of sound create an unsettling atmosphere over a quiet cacophony of harmonic noise, which finally takes over the sound spectrum as the track abruptly cuts and hints to the next song to come. Track 2, In Memoriam, is where we really see that Heaven Silhouettes is trying to push their production and curatorial efforts beyond the usual, incorporating post-rock, breakcore, layered vocals, and maximalist sound design. What starts off as wistful and lyrical is met with groaning bass and post-rock drums that are layered with pounding lo-fi breakcore drums. The angelic vocals that build up in the first half of the song fall away, and they're replaced with a desperate, unintelligible, repeating vocal melody as the chaotic tension of the song builds into a final crescendo of blast beats and martial melodies. This final exhale is followed by floating arpeggiated synths, giving the listener time to ponder the immense emotional journey they've just come through. 
but as the final notes cut, Chalice's track three opens its filter on a new round of trip-hop beats layered with multiple different samples looped to create a different structure for the reimagined material. It's treated a bit more like Vaporwave and instrumental hip-hop than a straight Barber remix. Although it follows the formula of having a long bridge that changes the drum pattern, this bridge pulls back to reveal each layer of the song before exploding into the maximal chorus section. The forlorn come down after this chorus evokes an emptiness, despite its sonic maximalism, by castrating the bass and burying the melodic elements in a digital haze of buzzing and shrieking sound waves. The cinematic sound design and intense atmospherics give it a bit of a dream punk flair, and I'm sure someone with a different reviewing style could write a good metaphorical description or narrative around these four unique tracks. The closing track is perhaps the most intriguing track, although at times it may not be the most melodically pleasing. The track does not point to any obvious subgenres, but sounds distinctly vaporwave and pulls on strains of late night lo-fi, vapor trap, and by the end, mutilated signal wave. It starts off with glitchy short loops and has an open halftime beat that reflects the song's title, quote, I've been slowly decaying and this is my freefall. The song title perfectly describes the feeling of this track with its spiraling and wavering melodies floating on unstable harmony that crumbles and slows to a slushy crawl after vapor trap bursts of rhythmic noise and manically skittering drums. Its final filtered decay is a fitting conclusion to an EP that feels like a longer journey than its four-song tracklist belies. You can listen to Gardening Alone on Heaven Silhouette's Bandcamp page. Getting into January releases, starting off the year, we have Brazilian producer Windows 96 releasing a new album on January 6th called Dated New Aesthetic. It's a more heady exploration of chill synth and utopian virtual sounds. Australian producer Tupperwave put out a new album on My Pet Flamingo called Grocery Store Sunset on January 27th, although it originally came out on his Bandcamp page January 5th. We got a track from it on our contemporary Vaporwave playlist. Vectroid has released two more albums, diving further into micro-sampling and giving fans of her current experimental audio excursions plenty of music to take in. Crash 2, with the subtitle Mac Plus Minus, came out on January 14th, and 777 Pig Danger also came out on the 14th, but has a more horror theme to it with a very vivid Bandcamp description. UK duo Donor Lens released another single in anticipation of their 2024 album. This one was called Dragon Drop Tools, with tools spelled with a Z. Echodroid put out an EP called Faithless Leap on his bandcamp that leans into a darker dream punk vibe with artwork to match. Hyraeth Records, run by Cat System Corp, announced a new upcoming album from Desert Sand Feels Warm at Night and Kagoshima Tangerine that translates to Find a Way Out. There are two slushy but short singles out now on Spotify, and the latest one is on our contemporary Vaporwave playlist. Neon City put out physical editions of Vantage's new album Neo Metro City in January, and you can listen to my full review of the album on episode 13 or read the written version by heading over to our website, vaporwavenewsnetwork.com. Montame Records released a new entry in their label compilation series. Montame Volume 3 came out January 12th with contributions from recent label artists and some big-name friends like Vantage, Android 52, and The Phantom's Revenge. Discoholic's track, Discoopolis, was added to our Fresh Future Funk playlist. Correspect Records put out Vapid's recently remastered album, Azure Confusion, on cassette. 
and released a collab from Inky TS and Tony Fockenheel called Chromaticism. Producers Korout and Blit released a collab single called Our Soul, which will be on Korout's next album, Runaway Romance, according to the Bandcamp description. Korout also released a single with 240 earlier in January called Cruising Memory. And Blip also released a single with Cadet called Free, which is on our Fresh Future Funk playlist. Speaking of Cadet, they also have a new album coming out in February called Heart Beats, which will be on Business Casual and Topaz Club on February 23rd. Fresh Apple Slices put out a new mini album called Before I Wake, as did, Fuji, as did Fuji Fire, who released a mini album called Distant Memory on their Bandcamp. On the Barber Beats front, Slower Pace put out an album on their Bandcamp and YouTube channel. This one was called Space Cowboys, and it's inspired by Cowboy Bebop. Macroblank put out a new album on his Patreon and YouTube channel called Entropy, with a fully credited sample list in the YouTube description. Oblique Occasions put out a two-sided mixtape called The Sagittarius Mix on January 13th, and I'm no expert in astrology, but uh, I think you're a month late on that one, bud. Opal Vessel released some hushed ambient barber beats on January 24th with the album Reason to Eat. Savant Shadow released a new album in late January that translates to Alienated. Mobisio put out an album of barber beats called In the Dreams of a Dragon, as well as a single in a more vapor trap style called Hustle Man. Barber Beats producer Gore released a new album that translates to Unanswered Prayers on the 13th and had a few physical reissues dropped this month. Guild Merchant released two albums again in January entitled Heartless and Rebellion Easy. For splits this past month, we had Permanent Zimp and VAAV Social Club with the collab album The Conviction, Known Artiste and Lawful Chaotic with the split Lawful Artistry, and Dark Desire and Undersaken with their album Sinistere. Undersaken also put out an album called Polygon Isle that has some Sonic-themed artwork. Darkness put out a new release called the Domina Lament EP on January 9th. Majestic 12 put out a new bass-heavy Barber Beats album called Power Exchange on their Bandcamp January 8th. Producer Magdalene put out two new albums. The first was called Cognitive Dissonance, and it samples music from royalty-free websites. They also put out a three-song EP called Dimly Lit Candles. Barber Beats artist Middle Management is back with an album that translates to Divine Guidance with strong beats and squelchy synths. Modest by Default put out the second album in their Raw Practices series, and this one is subtitled Strategic. Dusk, spelled with a Q in between the S and the K, put out a PS1 and Dreamcast-inspired Vapor Breaks album called Heaven Slash EXE that uses some old sounds and synths from Fantasy Star Online's soundtrack to get their DMB jungle-type sound. Producer Mail was back with some breakbeats on their new album Sound Sacrifice that came out on January 23rd. Slushwave Social Club put out an epic compilation to start the year. This is volume 5 of their collaborative scene sampler albums, and this edition is called Brief Glimpses of Quicksilver Dreams, or Slush in a Rush. The songs are much shorter this time around, as hinted at in the comp title. Days of Blue, who is also on the compilation, put out a new album in January that translates to Soft Stream of a Spring. They were also featured on our Best of 2023 Vaporwave list, which you can read up on our website or listen to on episode 12 of the podcast. Hotel Shampoo put out two new albums of Mall Soft and Signal Degraded Late Night Lo-Fi. Souvenir City came out at the beginning of the month, and Overtime came out on January 19th. TCR4 put out a new album of Mall Soft called Shine, and a melodic Signal Wave album called VHS Weekend. The artist Hydroplaned Into a False Reality put out an EP called Point Perspective, which has three tracks, 
which has three tracks of sample-free minimalist slush wave. Naval Gazers International put out an album that describes exactly what it is, a day at the mall. Mallsoft lovers can find it on their Bandcamp or on the Mall Talk Collective Bandcamp page. International Telecom released an album of broken transmission called SSTV Coverage. The Microgram released a new album and limited edition CD on their Bandcamp January 21st. It's called Renunciation and leans into the ambient side of dream punk. Renja also released a new album called Return to Dreams, which captures the shimmering melodic side of ambient dream punk. Alias 404 put out a new album of vapor funk called The Midnight and dropped a compilation of B-sides, singles, outtakes, and unreleased stuff from their past five years called Lost Tracks. Vapid put out a new EP on January 23rd called Music for Toxic Breakups and has the assorted Vaporwave podcast back up and running. Apollo Monday, a.k.a. Riley Miller, put out an album called Amiga OS, which has that midi wave sound. Plus, they dropped a slowed and reverb version of their album as well. Darian Shields is releasing an album, Zounds, that's a bit outside the vapor sphere, but it's a, quote, exploration outside the bounds of traditional vaporwave. The album's stark, simplistic beats, crunchy snares, and dreamlike synth and vocal lines still pay homage to the genre, unquote. Dragoon released a new album on Move Quiet Records January 12th called Oracle of the Dragon. It's also available on cassette. And like I mentioned earlier, Heaven's Silhouettes put out a new four-track EP called Gardening Alone. For compilations, we have a new label called Neglect, run by Effie from First Class Collective, who put out their debut compilation called Neglect Zero that features cutting-edge vapor, bedroom electronica, and other boundary-pushing internet music. Corspec Records released the team-building compilation, which we mentioned on our last episode, but you can now get it on cassette. Shatterfoil Industries, Global Pattern, and Seaside Bliss came together to release a benefit compilation for Palestinian children affected by the war in Gaza. It's, quote, in solidarity with civilians who need help, believing that every small contribution makes a difference. All money goes to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. You can find it under the watermelon emoji if you search Bandcamp, or you can go to any of the label's pages. Again, that's Shatterfoil Industries, Global Pattern, and Seaside Bliss. And as mentioned in the last episode, Sunset Grid put out a compilation called Ikigai, a benefit for compilations of the New Year's earthquake in Japan, with all profits going to the Red Cross. On the net label front, Sunset Grid released some new albums by Scorched Earth, Bounty Ballad, Margaritaville NYC, and Babe Fake. Bogus Collective released a bunch of new albums from artists like Web Digger, Guame, DJ Canvas, Ezra, The City Reviewer, Kinetic, Torch, and Bosby. Photoshop Co. has released new albums including stuff from Compute, Caldor 32X, MechBank, Game FAQ Moderator, and a split between Color Advanced, SP, and Office Worker. Steffi Starshine's label Fireflower Foundation put out some noise and ambient drone from Moralix and Flesh Racer, plus a reissued remaster of June Flower's album Blue Sea for its five-year anniversary. Shatterfoil Industries reissued the album The Life of Me from the artist Human Nightmare, who passed away a few years ago. It was brought back in collaboration with the artist's family. Underwater Computing was busy this month, in contrast to many labels who I skipped this time around, and they put out some reissues and a series of lathe cut 7 inches and some new albums from folks like Imanova, Windows, Dret 9, Days of Blue, Philolette, Lotus Flower, and Cyberlust. Business Casual had three releases in January Chance De La Soul with their future funk album In Media Res, Crystal Eternal, who I mentioned earlier with their album Keygen and Barbara Beats producer Godspeed with their album Ultra. 
Finally, my label Pacific Plaza put out a Barb Beats album on cassette for mysterious producer Magic. That's Magic with two A's. Their green album, which translates to Light as an Angel, was reviewed on the podcast last summer, and you can now own it on physical media. Only a couple copies left. We also got some announcements for reissues coming up, plus a new album from a luxurious longtime friend of the label. If you have upcoming releases to send to us for coverage, head over to vaporwavenewsnetwork.com slash submissions and use the upcoming release submission form. Okay, and on to our main topic for this episode. You know, when I was brainstorming, I was seeing a lot of hubbub about what's, you know, probably the biggest story in music criticism and publishing thus far in 2024. Pitchfork Media being folded into men's magazine GQ by its owner, Condé Nast, and laying off a swath of employees in the process. While I have talked about Pitchfork on the podcast and how it had covered Vaporwave in the past, post-Condé Nast buyout era Pitchfork hadn't really paid much attention to the genre, and I would guess that most people in the Vaporwave community don't really feel like this news affects them. But as I thought about the story more, hearing eulogies on podcasts and reading Doomer takes on social media, I was reminded of experiences with music media and website closures or downsizing that did have an effect on the Vaporwave scene. In the past, we've seen niche vapor-centric websites come and go, like sunbleach.net, which I cite quite often, you know, Altered Zones, Roberto Clemente Rookie Card, Private Suite, among others, but a publication that people who joined the scene after 2020 might not remember, and those who were part of the early days definitely cherished, was Tiny Mixtapes, which shut down January 6th, 2020. So this main topic is going to be in two parts. I'm going to report the news related to Pitchfork and discuss the effects of downsizing and closures in independent music media. Then, trace the history of an influential music media website for our scene, 
Tiny Mixtapes and its influence and closure. Finally, I'll wrap it up with some of my thoughts on the importance of niche music scenes receiving critical and promotion attention in the wider music media ecosystem. So for our first topic, on January 17th, Semaphore writer Max Tanny broke the news that an internal note from Condé Nast editor Anna Wintour announced, quote, Today, we are evolving our Pitchfork team structure by bringing the team into the GQ organization. It later went on to read, quote, With these organizational changes, some of our Pitchfork colleagues will be leaving the company today, indicating layoffs, which affected top editors and longtime staff contributors. An article on Semaphore, released February 4th, does a good job at tracing the history of Pitchfork from its start as a scrappy niche blog to a legacy tastemaker that ended up victim to, quote, cost-cutting, near-constant corporate restructuring and departures, and most of all, the dramatic shifts in digital media that began to slowly chip away at Pitchfork after they'd been purchased by Condé Nast in 2015. The main hypothesis most articles have pointed at for the demise is a lack of profitability. As Chris Newton at Platformer pointed out, quote, lots of free ad-supported publications like Pitchfork are losing money. In a world where the vast majority of digital advertising profits go to three companies, Google, Meta, and Amazon, smaller publications are struggling to survive. He continued, quote, The past few years have seen us lose countless mid-sized publications that once made the web vital. Last year, we lost BuzzFeed News, Protocol, The New Gawker, and The Old Jezebel. Pitchfork is the first site to fall in 2024, but it will not be the last. So to give people a bit more context, although Pitchfork has been run as a standalone website, it was no longer an independent company after its purchase by the global media conglomerate Condé Nast. Going way back in time, the founder, Condé Montrose Nast, purchased Vogue magazine in 1909. And after creating the Condé Nast Publications holding company, he purchased other magazines and expanded throughout the first half of the century. It was bought in 1959 by Samuel Newhouse as a gift for his wife and was turned into a subsidiary of his company, Advanced Publications, who still own it to this day. And Advanced Publications actually owns 30% of Reddit, which is a weird but fun fact, I guess? Anyway, Condé Nast has a collection of publications under its wing that cover a variety of cultural spheres. Its diverse portfolio over the years has defined lifestyle journalism with titles like The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, Golf Digest, Bon Appetit, Ars Technica, Wired, and GQ, just to name a few. Although it had editorial independence, the buck still stopped with the higher-ups at Condé Nast, and the Semaphore article describes how over the years, quote, Pitchfork also saw some of its identity folded into corporate efficiencies. Its in-house design and creative teams, which had helped win the publication awards for editorial, were similarly absorbed or laid off. Condé also tried to fit the community-based site into the audience-driven terms of programmatic advertising sales, unquote. While Pitchfork was still on the rise in the early 2010s, winning awards and landing big partnerships for its video content, Condé Nast's takeover wasn't until 2015. Condé Nast moved the video team under their Condé Nast Entertainment banner, and although they expanded their live events offerings and revenue streams, the higher-ups at Condé Nast pushed for more luxury experiences with outlandish suggestions such as reuniting Oasis or the White Stripes at a Pitchfork Festival to sell more tickets. Now, Pitchfork is not the only place that is feeling the effects of corporate layoffs in the new pseudo-recession post-pandemic economy. While many tech companies have been correcting for their overhiring, as well as trying to get rid of old employees with new ones at a lower pay rate, 
the fields of music and culture journalism have been fighting a rising tide of algorithmically curated content, shortened attention spans, and an inability to shift their revenue streams away from ad-supported models and selling themselves to larger conglomerates or venture capital. For folks in the vaporwave scene, the turbulence around the sale of Bandcamp last month is still fresh in our minds. We heard a similar refrain about the platform not being profitable enough, which ostensibly justified more cuts than just eliminating positions out of redundancy. While only three people are left in the Bandcamp daily editorial department, they seem to have enough freelancers writing for them to maintain coverage, and personally, I haven't noticed any columns being dropped, including the columns that occasionally cover Vaporwave like the Acid Test and the Experimental Electronic Monthly Roundups. In an article about Condé Nast November 2023 layoffs and the current pitchfork situation, Sean McCreesh at The Intelligencer wrote, quote, Lately it feels like much of the media industry has been put through a trash compactor. Time Magazine had layoffs, and Sports Illustrated was essentially euthanized. The day of the Condé Nast strike, the LA Times axed more than 20% of its newsroom. Two days after the strike, Business Insider announced it was laying off 8% of its staff. The Washington Post just bought out 240 employees. So, clearly, this is a wider trend, like, even outside of music journalism. And despite Pitchfork's optimistic turn after 2013, people are rightly bemoaning the loss of diverse coverage and voices that a place like Pitchfork has provided over the years, without answering to corporate whims or editors of men's fashion and lifestyle magazines. Music journalism and criticism from sites like Pitchfork and Bandcamp Daily stand in contrast to the algorithmic curation that drives the attention deficit economy on sites like TikTok and Twitter. The careful consideration and discourse provided by independent media websites has transformed the opportunities for different voices to be heard and to create new economies outside of the corporatist media empires, which have slowly been concentrated in the hands of the rich, which Sean McCready points out in the Intelligencer article. Not all publications succumb to the fate of mergers and acquisitions like I've been discussing, but the loss of documentation, contextualization, and discovery homogenizes the narratives and historical documentation of music and concentrates power in the tech companies bent on algorithmically delivering content, not musical art. When independent media dies and careers are unsustainable for the people trying to provide that context and highlight parts of culture that aren't the most profitable or clickbait-worthy content, we lose a sense of community and stewardship over the art to these tech companies and content mills, which you see are proliferate on YouTube and the former blogging universe. But getting into part two, one of these publications that helped document, contextualize, and discover Vaporwave was Tiny Mixtapes, an independent music media website that covered cultural news, reviewed releases, and published many interviews and features from unknown experimental musicians all the way up through rising indie stars. It was on the pulse of the emerging internet music genres like Vaporwave and Hyperpop that would go on to have a massive influence in the cultural landscape in the second half of the 2010s. In addition to my own research and opinions about the importance of tiny mixtapes, I also talked to two longtime members of the scene to get some history and background on the publication and its relationship to Vaporwave, Luxury Elite, and Keith Rankin from Death's Dynamic Shroud and Orange Milk Records. If you would like to read the interviews I conducted with them for this main topic, you can sign up to be a member or associate producer of the Vaporwave News Network and get access to the transcripts which will be provided on our website a couple days after this episode goes live. You can sign up over at vaporwavenewsnetwork.com slash subscribe. 
Tiny Mixtapes was founded by Martin Lin, a.k.a. Mr. P, as a webzine covering music and film that was hosted on GeoCities around the turn of the millennium. It landed at its current domain in 2001. Keith from DDS and Orange Milk Records got involved with writing and editing for the website in the mid-2000s, and he told me that most of the TMT writers were hardcore music fans who loved discovery and trying to pinpoint emerging underground scenes. Tiny Mixtapes covered artists and creators who pushed boundaries. They looked back at older releases and situated them in the current musical landscape. They would eschew formalities and rhetorical strictures of traditional written journalism. Their website was organized in an idiosyncratic way with unique names for their different columns, types of coverage, and areas of interest. For instance, most of the vaporwave that was covered would show up in the chocolate grinder, which was, quote, our audiovisual section with an emphasis on lesser heard and lesser known. We aim to dig deep, but we'll post any song or video we find interesting, big or small. As pointed out to me by Keith, TMT first covered Vaporwave by name in a June 2012 post about Internet Club and the, quote, emerging microscene variously called Webwave, Vaporwave, Dosswave, and Echo Jams, unquote. According to Keith, the writer of the article, Jonathan Dean, was also a Vaporwave artist at the time called Transmuteo. Luxury Elite also pointed out a name that I had seen a lot when reading Vapor and Vapor-adjacent coverage on the website, Sea Monster, who was not an artist in the Vaporwave scene, but was a hell of a writer who used images, funky formatting, and a gonzo approach to building narrative and context around experimental music. In the early years, when the Vaporwave scene was coalescing around releases from this first and second wave of producers, tiny mixtapes treated Vaporwave with a seriousness that other publications did not. While the writing about Vaporwave was tongue-in-cheek at times, their non-traditional writing about the genre inspired later folks covering Vaporwave, with a mix of fictive, futurative, painting-with-words-type descriptions and serious interrogations of the intersection between technology, recontextualization, and cultural nostalgia. Lux also speculated that, quote, These writers watched how Chillwave and Witch House took over the music sphere in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and were getting recognition and attention without the help of major labels. She continued, quote, The limitations weren't stopping people from spreading cool underground music, and it wouldn't surprise me if the writers were fans themselves who were wanting to create a hub where it was easier to find underground music, unquote. And interestingly enough, Keith revealed to me that, quote, TMT might have focused on it more because a lot of the writers were musicians in the scene itself, so there was more excitement about codifying it. Both Keith and Lux mentioned that other indie media sites covered Vaporwave in its early years, and later when Vaporwave's aesthetics and C-Punk's aesthetics were absorbed into some mainstream moments. But in these early years, Pitchfork largely ignored Vaporwave, with the exception of Altered Zones, a collection of blogs and bloggers Pitchfork tried to unite and aggregate into a single site. It barely lasted two years. But during the early years, Lux noted, Vaporwave was becoming a success story without Pitchfork's assistance. We were getting shoutouts in Dummy Mag and The Wire and Fact Magazine without doing any sort of promotion on our side. People were just finding this shit and hyping it all up for us. I'm sure Tiny Mixtapes was more help than anything because they definitely championed us and appreciated what we were doing and seemed to get it where others didn't, unquote. While some of the most polemic and opinionated writing about Vaporwave that you know spurred debate and criticism pre-2016 was published in places like The Wire, Dummy Mag, Fact, and Vice is Noisy, no other website consistently covered the genre alongside other experimental, pop, and indie music in the 2010s the way Tiny Mixtapes did. 
They even put two Vaporwave albums in the top 10 records of the 2010s, Floral Shop at number 6, and Echo Jams at number 1. Their writers contextualize Vaporwave within the network society and hauntology, and in the scene's nascent days, offered almost pitchfork-like coverage of new releases, videos, singles, at times with an unrepentantly net-brained and gonzo-like approach. As the Vaporwave scene grew and outlasted many other microgenres, Tiny Mixtapes continued to highlight stuff from the scene, including a compilation I was on. Funny enough, during my research, I found my specific track shouted out in the post about the Vaporwave Christmas Story cassette, which I did not remember at all, but it brought me a lot of joy and surprised to see it. Tiny Mixtapes continually reference Vaporwave all the way up until its grand finale, the 2010's Decade List and Features. Vaporwave was proclaimed dead and alive multiple times by different writers during their tenure covering the scene. You know, as Lux told me, quote, they already had their eyes on labels like Amdiscs and Beer on the Rug, and they went wild for Vectroid's output. They continued to follow what was going on with her and what was happening with SPF 420, which was giving Vaporwave a larger platform with shows. Yeah, Tiny Mixtapes even reported on the first Vaporwave shows and URL streams like SPF 420, a whole other topic I'd like to dive into someday. Unfortunately, the site was put on hiatus at the beginning of 2020. When I asked Keith what led to its shuttering, he could only tell me, quote, personal reasons and lack of money. The downfall of covering obscure music is a smaller audience, unquote. Which obviously doesn't tell the whole story, but it is unfortunate nonetheless. I encourage you to go to tinymixtapes.com and put Vaporwave in the search bar. It works remarkably well for a parked website, and the post formatting has been kept intact quite well compared to other corrupted websites from blighted media like Vice, Dummy Mag, Pitchfork, and others. There's over 26 pages of posts mentioning Vaporwave, from the first internet club coverage to their final post on Vaporwave. Fittingly, an announcement that Vectroid was returning to the Macintosh Plus alias with a new 12-inch called Sick and Panic, a widely divisive release at the dawn of a new decade. Bringing it full circle here, what we see going on in the larger world of journalism and digital media has been experienced in the past by us here in the Vaporwave scene, not only losing tiny mixtapes, but also specialty sites that covered Vaporwave, like Sunbleached and Private Sweep. The ecosystem of cultural journalism and critique needs the grassroots sonic adventurers and fanzine curators, as well as these mid-sized aggregators with a diverse and knowledgeable editorial voice. Niche journalistic endeavors filter up the chain, you know, regardless of your opinion on the hierarchical chain and who controls it, and in the new algorithmically curated age of content, content might actually get recommended to the right people, or at least could be made easily available through the ease of access to music and cultural content on social media and streaming platforms. While folks who are newer to this community might not know the impact and importance of independent media covering it, the proliferation of the genre and its place in cultural discourse would not be remembered, despite all the YouTube video essays, without places like Tiny Mixtapes, Dummy Mag, Fact Mag, The Wire, The Quietus, and Vice Publications. Not all these places were friendly to the genre, but as it gained momentum, it became part of the cultural dialogue around technology, music, capitalism, and nostalgia in the 2010s. In an end-of-the-year feature essay, TMT writer Alex Brown wrote, quote, More often than not, small music movements are cycled through like memes, trendy fads slated to be discarded as quickly as they come before meaning can be decoded. Unquote. Luckily, Vaporwave was not discarded wholesale, and tracing its origins and influence is now messier than ever because of its proliferation and growth into new subgenres and aesthetic signifiers, 
And as I continue to say, Vaporwave is still not dead. There's much more that can be said about the loss of music journalism, and I'll hold debate if it's even important anymore. But to end this on a more sentimental and upbeat note, I wanted to share these quotes from Lux about her music being covered in some of these places. Quote, I remember totally freaking out when Late Night Delight got a shout out from Tiny Mixtapes. I didn't even know who the writer was, and I was super flattered that we got recognition. The Wire was especially big because Adam Harper was given a chance to do a 2013 retrospective, and we were in a physical publication being recognized and name dropped. I still have my copy of it. I may still have the screenshots on my external hard drive, but all of us were fucking flipping. It felt like we officially made it, like we were on top of the world. As I mentioned earlier, if you'd like to read full transcripts of the research interviews I did with Lux and Keith, you can head over to vaporwavenewsnetwork.com slash subscribe. There's so much more to say about curators and journalists covering the scene, including a whole cadre of like single-person-run blogs and YouTube channels who boosted the early scene like Mr. Nonsense, Stolen Links, David Dean Burkhart, Moonlit TV Dinner, Roberto Clemente Rookie Card, and many more that we'll hopefully be able to talk about on an episode in the future. You can also head over to our website and you can find a full works cited plus research links I used in writing this main topic at vaporwavenewsnetwork.com. This week in Vaporwave history, you know I love heading back in time to survey the landscape that birthed Vaporwave as a community and independent art movement. In light of people discussing the first Vaporwave song on Reddit, Twitter, and other podcasts, I figured I'd go back to the proto days of 2010 to discuss what might have been the first Vaporwave album. February 1st, 2010, Games, the duo of Daniel Lapotin and Joel Ford dropped their first mixtape titled Heaven Can Wait, Volume 1, the very first upload to their SoundCloud over 14 years ago. This collection of six tracks is not simply a batch of 80s synth-pop, Italo-disco, and R&B strung together in a DJ mix, but rather syrupy slowed re-edits that are compressed and reverberated to fit into the same sonic universe, instead of just presenting the tracks in their original state. The tracks play end-to-end with their pitch-shifted melodies that breathe a different life into the songs curated for this collection. The influence of DJ Screw is strong on the mixtapes made by games, and some songs on Volume 1 even change pitch during the track. An important element of Heaven Can Wait is the presentation of multiple tracks that are all manipulated using what I've previously called minimalist production techniques, and paired with the artwork that has some important signifiers within itself. Not only do people continue expounding on slowed edit concepts for many years in the wake of this early games mixtape and Lapotin's Echo Jams, but this mixtape style was lifted and revived wholesale and then jacked up with intense aesthetics and stylization 10 years later by the Barber Beats generation of producers that have come to dominate the YouTube algorithm and Bandcamp sales. The sound palette achieved by the edits that came out of this mixtape series formed a sound that future producers would imitate in their sound design. The splashy drums and propulsive synths are lysergic and groovy, forming the backbone of future subgenres like vapor funk, VHS pop, and late night lo-fi. Scrolling through the way slower Tumblr page that games posted on back in the day, a flyer for a DJ night Joel Ford was hosting at a bar in Williamsburg in late February 2010 caught my eye. It was called Slow Italo, and the descriptors read Slow Italo Disco, Slow 80s, 
slow funk, slow R&B, with slow spelled S-L-O. The artwork is also a curious combination of low-brow graphic design, faux-fancy serif font, and digitally degraded word art on top of an ethereal image of a woman's face. It's a visual trope and graphic crop that would be repeated by future artists in the vaporwave scene, especially in subgenres like slushwave and signalwave. The static and visual fuzz over a digitally rendered analog image, and all the artifacting that comes along with it, continues to be seen in vaporwave imagery to this day. This unity of visual aesthetic and music recontextualization was crucial to this new wave of plunderphonics that games would inspire. And the unity was emphasized in their Pitchfork Rising Artist Profile interview that I talked about in episode 9 of the podcast. I won't list out all those influences again, but another key thing mentioned in that interview was recontextualizing samples and performances, a foundational concept for the new generation of digital plunderphonics that the duo would inspire. Games released two more mixtapes in the Heaven Can Wait series that were meant to tide people over as they prepared their new music which was leaning into non-sampled stuff, but was still inspired by the aesthetics and synth sounds of these mixtape tracks. These slow, 10% slower than slow, re-edits according to Joel Ford. You can listen to the mixtapes over on the Ford and Lapot and SoundCloud page or search them up on YouTube. While these may not be albums in the traditional sense, a lot of Vaporwave releases are not albums in the traditional 8-12 track paradigm. Are these mixtapes the first Vaporwave albums? Well... Just based on the naming convention as a mixtape, probably not. However, it would be a grave omission to forget these curated and recontextualized collections of songs in the formation of Vaporwave and making it, along with Sunset Corp's Echo Jams, distinct from other plunderphonic releases that came out prior to them. Hey, I hope everyone has enjoyed this week's episode of the Vaporwave News Network. Thank you to our supporters in the associate producer tier, Mackie and Joe B. Remember, you can sign up to support the show for $5 or $10 a month. We're going to have all of our usual stuff in the show notes, but make sure you sign up on our website to get our email newsletter every time a new episode of the podcast or a feature article drops. In addition to posting on our website, we also have an Instagram, Blue Sky, TikTok, and Twitter where we post highlight graphics and sometimes videos with the releases and history mentioned in each episode. Make sure you give us a follow and repost the content. And please repost it. Reposting the graphics and videos really helps spread the word to other people in the scene. Also, if you have any thoughts on the episode or comments about things that I've been saying or mentioning, get at me on social media, send an at so we can start discussing it and generate a little bit of buzz online. You can find us on social media at VW News Network. If you would like to submit something to the show, check out vaporwavenewsnetwork.com slash submissions to get access to our Google Forms for upcoming releases, events, and Spotify content. If you want to get in contact with us, you can also do it through our email, vaporwavenewsnetwork at gmail.com. This podcast is sponsored by Pacific Plaza, but if you're a reputable label, collective, or business looking to advertise or sponsor the show, please get in contact. I've been your host, Alex, aka Trucks Passing Trucks. If you want to find me or my label on social media, you can look up Pacific Plaza Rec. 
That's Pacific Plaza, R-E-C, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, or Blue Sky. I also have an Instagram page for my music and DJing over at Trucks Passing Trucks, all one word. If you want to book me for any gigs or streams in 2024, get in contact. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you tune in to future episodes of the Vaporwave News Network. From our part of the vapor world, this is Alex, signing off until next time. Paperwave News Network. Network.